Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad to be here with you once again as we wrap up our series, The Nation's Rage. Over the last weeks, we've been thinking about Psalm 2 and what Psalm 2 tells us about God's call to follow him, to serve him, and to serve both Father and Son, God the Father and our Savior Jesus. And as we wrap this up, we come to some really interesting verses at the end of the psalm, and we want to sort of dwell on those because it's going to challenge us. The psalm is going to ask us to decide what we're going to do. Are we going to serve the Lord or not? Just as Joshua challenged the people of Israel years before. And all of us have to confront that both on a sort of lifetime level basis. What am I going to do over the course of my life? And also on a day-to-day basis. What am I doing today? Who am I serving today? So let's come before our God, ask that he would reveal whom we're serving today in our hearts, and then dig into his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these psalms and the truth we find in them. And thank you for being our good and gracious and merciful king. Lord, would you help us to see your truth tonight, to be convicted by your word, to be guided by it, and to be encouraged by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have any of you tried Kickstarter? I enjoy Kickstarter. It's a kind of interesting concept. There's a couple of these crowdfunded websites out there, and they allow different people with an idea. Maybe it's a product they want to make, or a service, or a book, or music. It could be all sorts of different things. Something that they want to produce that they don't necessarily have the funds to produce up front, And so traditionally, you'd go and you'd try to sell it to some kind of big investment firm or or you'd just go and give the idea to someone else. Or maybe if you're a musician, you wait for your big break with a music label, those sorts of things. But Kickstarter's idea was to allow someone to present the case for why their idea is good and then allow individual people to buy into it. Now, when you buy into it, you're, you're giving money so the person has the money to produce something, which means you may or may not get the end result because something might go wrong. It might cost more than they expected. They might run into trouble producing it. It varies how far along things are. Some seem almost like just shopping and buying a pre-order or something. Sometimes you order something and it might be years away. And a few times I've gone on there and and found something I thought was a great idea and I I went ahead and, and joined in the funding and the person just disappeared. Nothing came of it. So it's it's uncertain. It's a really neat thing, and it, it feels like it's worth it, but there's a risk. Is it is it going to fail? Is it going to work? And then there's also that little thing that will kind of sometimes nudge me over the edge to say, well, maybe I'd want to do this Kickstarter, which is, what happens if I wait too long? And all the rewards, all the different options to receive one of the items being created or the or whatever it might be, what if they're all gone because too many people have already bought into it and then I don't get to take part or I realize it it was going to work but but now it's twice as much because you have to buy it at full retail price later on whenever it finally becomes available and so there's that is it too late already is it going to be too late if I wait what should I do as we look at the last few verses of the psalm it's challenging us to find ourselves sort of in that mindset of don't wait until it's too late but with a key difference When I go into Kickstarter, if you scroll down the page, it's going to talk about risks and challenges to taking part in this. And when you actually choose to fund it, it's going to warn you, once again, this is not a purchase. It may not work out. You may not receive the product. 
And there's nothing you can do about it if it doesn't work out. But when we come to our God and he says, don't wait too long, go ahead and make the investment now, we don't have to worry about the risks because we already know the result. It's sure. It's surer than the most sure Kickstarter. It's surer than going to the store and buying something. We, we may think we're getting something sure, but then it could be rotten or broken or whatever. But what God offers is always good. It never expires and it never fails to come through. And that's what we're going to read about once again as we turn to verse 10. The psalmist says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Notice how we start out here. The, the call is for the kings to be wise. We've been thinking about the, the nations and the leaders, and, and that's been a recurring theme throughout this psalm. And now the call is, okay, you've heard the case, now be wise. And, and that call is, of course, directed here towards kings and rulers, because that's the theme throughout the psalm. But as we talked about earlier, the psalm is really confronting all of us, not just kings and rulers. So the call to you and to me, too, is, okay, now be wise. What are we going to do with this? And this isn't just a call to those who are already convinced, those who already want to follow. This is an interesting way that this is constructed because commentators believe that more than likely, even the wording in verse 10 implies that this psalm was directed, intended to be heard by those who hadn't yet decided to follow the Lord. It wasn't just God's people singing this and kind of using it as a way to scoff at others. It's really a call to the kings of the earth to respond. It's a call to the people of the world to respond. And he, and here's how we can pick that up. One of the, the interesting things we see, if we we look here at verse 12 for a moment, we'll get to that more in a, in, in a second, but this phrase, kiss the sun, there, there's a few very unique things about it. And the one that, that we can't really pick up on when we're reading it in English, but you can in the Hebrew, is that the word for sun here isn't actually a Hebrew word. Very interesting. The vast majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the, the language of the ancient Israelites. But a few of the later books in the Old Testament are written in Aramaic, the language that ultimately becomes the, the language of the land. And for example, would have been the primary language that people spoke in their households in the, in the time of Jesus. But during the time of most of the Psalms, they wrote in Hebrew. And the Psalm is, in fact, written in Hebrew. But the word for son here isn't ben, which is what we would expect in Hebrew, but bar. Similar, but not entirely the same. It's the word for son in Aramaic. Now, why are we worried about that? What does that really mean? Well, while the people of Israel at the time spoke Hebrew, the people around them spoke Aramaic. And so it seems as though the psalmist intentionally, the psalmist uses the Hebrew word for son uh, uh, earlier in in verse uh, verse 7, if you look there from last week, the Lord said to me, you are my son. But here he switches. Why would he do that? Because this is a call to those who don't yet believe. And so he's using the actual language that they would use and saying, you need to respond to this. 
It's not just, oh, look at those interesting Israelites over there doing their own thing. No, he's going to use a word from their language. Maybe like today, if you were writing in English, but you were writing to someone whose native language was French and you threw in a couple of, of key French phrases to catch their attention and show that you were paying attention to them. He's doing something like that, it would appear, in order to call attention to non-believers to become believers. Here it reminds us of several things, one of which is that even in the Old Testament, sometimes we think New Testament is for the world, Old Testament is for the people of God in Israel. But here, even in the heart of the Old Testament, the focus is larger than that. And it's not just larger at the end time. Someday God's going to subdue everyone and they're all going to have to follow him. No, it's right now in the moment. And may we not forget that too. Let's not just focus on what we can say to each other in churchy language, but the challenge here is to think, how do we communicate that same call today to the people around us? And say it in a way that they can understand it. Sometimes we need to analyze our own language too and make sure that we follow this example speak in the language of people not compromising the message but saying it in a way that shows that we actually care about them and want them to hear that this call is for them the psalmist wants people to hear that this call is for them well, what is this call what is this call that the, the the kings are to be wise and the rulers are to be warned it's what we find in verse 11 which is that you should serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. And, and we've talked before about this idea of fear the Lord. It's not the sort of fear, for example, you go into, uh, 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 we have haunted houses that pop up these times of the year, and, and the goal is to make you fearful, to, to fear the the various things that come flying out at you and, and whatever else might be in there, insects, whatever it might be, trying to just invoke fear in us. It's not that kind of fear. It's a reverence. Is coming before majesty. We've seen sort of a demonstration of that even today as we see the pictures and the video footage coming out of the Queen's funeral and, and just this, the sheer majesty that's presented in a, a royal funeral, something that we don't see quite at that level here in the United States. But, but amplify that for the king of the entire universe. Have reverence towards him. That's the call. And as we come to him with reverence, we're called to serve him. And this being directed towards kings and rulers, it's using the imagery of ancient victorious kings in relationship to those who would become vassal kings, those that would serve the kings. And oftentimes you saw this in ancient in the ancient world. They would go and conquer a land, and then the, the, the weaker king would pay tribute and serve the interests of the greater king. And that kind of imagery is used throughout scripture to explain how the Lord relates to us and, and to the peoples of the world. And, and here it seems to be that too. He's saying, you may be rulers in your own places. You may have your own duties. And that's true of all of us. We have our places where we feel like we're in control. But, but may we be thinking as we do them as those who serve the greater king. Not become so confident in our own position, in our own power, in our own control of the situation that we feel like we can just serve our own interests. Am I serving my interests or God's interests? Am I living as a subject of the king? Or have I made myself a subject to my own kingdom and my own whims? Well, for most of us, we're going to alternate even at our best. Even if we are following the Lord, we're going to be sometimes trying to be subjects of our own rule. But the challenge here is to 
to check our hearts, to examine our lives and ask why we're doing the things we're doing. Are we doing it because God says it's pleasing and good to him or are we doing it because it's good and pleasing to ourselves? And certainly if you haven't yet followed Jesus and and you're trying to figure out who it is that you should serve or if you should just try to get whatever you can out of life to make yourself happy before before life ends, the challenge here is to think, is there something more than that? Be wise. Follow the Lord. Follow the one who's actually in control. That's that's the challenge. And it's not too late. The, the crowdfunding, as it were, hasn't ended. And even better, it's not really funding. We're not contributing something so God's kingdom can come into being. All we're saying is we want to be a part of it. And he brings us into it. And he lets us experience it. But we need to actually respond to it. And too often, the kings of the world rage against that. Because they want their own power. People who seek power generally don't want to be subservient to something else, to someone else. And the Bible calls everyone from the, the least to the greatest to serve the king. We think about the biblical example of kings. They, at their best, realized that they didn't have absolute power like a, a Near Eastern monarch usually did. They were under a constitution of sorts, the constitution of the greater king who had given his law and explained how things were meant to be. And, and for example, when David falls into sin, he's convicted of it by a prophet and, and told there are consequences, and he's going to have to answer for it. He can't just say, well, I'm king, and I get to do whatever I want. Neither can we. It isn't too late. But we're called to be wise and to act. There's a, a wonderful little story I was reading about in the context of this psalm, a commentator related, about one of the Roman emperors. There, there was a Roman emperor after uh, Constantine brought Christianity into a legal place within the empire. And the, for a while, the Roman empire was going back and forth exactly what was it going to be. Constantine didn't make it a Christian empire. He simply legalized Christianity. And then it looked like it was going to become Christian, and then it wasn't. We had a, another pagan emperor come to power. And that emperor, Julian, loved to mock Christians. And one time to entertain his guests, he he brought a Christian in named Agaton. And he he asked him, well, what's your king doing? Because here's a, here's, a here's a man who is imprisoned, is probably going to be put to death. Here's a... a the leader of the most powerful empire in the world, it would seem like this this imprisoned Christian must not serve a very good king because here he is a subject of that kingdom and clearly a different kingdom has power over him. But I love what Agaton said in response. When he was asked, well, what's your king doing now? He responded to the emperor, he's building a coffin for your empire. You see, Julian thought he had power. He thought he was building something that would last. But looking back in history, we know two things. First, Julian would die, and the Roman Empire would eventually become Christian. His goal of avoiding the empire being a Christian empire would fail. But then even the Christian empire would fall. And then the successor empires have fallen. They weren't going to last. So who are you going to serve? Agaton could have looked in that moment and said, well, maybe I should serve the Roman Empire because it seems like my king isn't doing so well. But he knew that Jesus was going to win. And so even though at that moment it looked like Jesus wasn't doing all that much, he realized that Jesus had done everything that needed to be done. And he could respond. He's building a coffin for your empire. Because he knew that Jesus would be victorious. And we can know that too. 
And those earthly empires that beckon for our loyalty, that call us to follow them, earthly leaders that call us to follow them. What's our king doing in relation to, to their work? He's building their coffins too. They won't last. And even they, even the most powerful people in the world have a choice. Are they going to serve Jesus? Are they going to serve themselves and the powers of the world? Because those powers will fail. And then, and then we have this warning. What happens if we choose to serve those worldly powers? Verse 12, his wrath is quickly kindled. But we don't have to experience that wrath. And this is the key thing. It's unnecessary. Julian didn't have to experience that wrath. No one has to experience that wrath. Those nations that are raging don't have to experience that wrath. Let's look at all of verse 12 here. Once again, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, there's wrath there. There's anger there. There's a danger there if people choose not to respond. But it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be. Verse 11, once again. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. Yes, there's a call to serve. Yes, there's a call to recognize that God's in control. But it's a call that's imbued with joy. Because the king isn't just calling people to, to become enslaved to him and then to live all of life or all of eternity even worse just in the most horrible of conditions like so many all-powerful kings would do in the past they'd take prisoners and they would enslave them and they would make their lives miserable maybe sometimes it would feel better when you had a conqueror coming just to die at his hands rather than end up being imprisoned by him and, and suffer the indignity of it but this is a different kind of call to serve to become a vassal to the Lord. It's a call to experience in that joy that that in the in the reverence of the Lord there's actually a place for rejoicing. And we're invited into it. Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not too late. There's a chance to act. That's what we're called to do here. To recognize that there's a chance to experience joy. And and isn't it interesting here, we have this in verse 11, rejoice with trembling. There's this rejoicing with trembling phrase that's very odd at first, but as people have wrestled with it, one of the best suggestions on how to take that, I think, is that the trembling part is recognizing our own unworthiness of that rejoicing, of that experience of rejoicing. That God's calling us into something we don't deserve. When we actually are confronted with this challenge and say not, well, I'm great and I'm powerful and I have everything under control and, and I'm doing God a big favor if I go ahead and follow him, but rather, why would God want anything to do with me? I have all these flaws. I, I do what's displeasing to him so often. Why would I possibly be part of his kingdom? Why would he want me a part of his kingdom? When we recognize that and we come in repentance to him, that trembling, then there's rejoicing because we realize, well, he shouldn't want me to be a part of his kingdom. It seems like by all earthly reasoning, he shouldn't want me as part of his kingdom. And yet, and yet he does. And there's rejoicing. 
how unfortunate if we choose anger instead. That we think somehow that we need to, to rage against the king to, to do exactly where it started here back in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Why do we do all that? God's offering us to experience blessedness and joy in his presence. Why, why do we do it? And yet sometimes I, I think we feel like we have to. This man felt like he had to. His name's Barry Timothy O'Burney. And, and in fact, his name isn't Barry Timothy O'Burney. Because you see, Barry Timothy O'Burney actually was a man who served in the Air Force. That's just his alias. And this man had been in the Air Force from 1973 to 1983 and had worked his way up to the point where he was given access to all kinds of top secret information about missiles. And this is right in the height of the Cold War. He he knew where NATO missiles were and how everything was arranged to deal with the Soviet Union and so on. And was entrusted enough that he was sent over to, to the Netherlands to talk about a missile installation. And then he vanished. No one knew where he went. But they didn't know he had been seen taking large sums of money out of the bank before he left on the trip. And it quickly became clear that he had had dis- he had vanished intentionally from service. He just vanished. And in the height of the Cold War, of course, the assumption was, well, maybe he defected to the Russians. And, and, and soon thereafter, it seemed like there were things that were authenticating that. There were various rockets that were supposed to launch satellites that would serve our intelligence community that, that blew up, including a satellite that was going to be lifted up by the Challenger space shuttle that exploded. People started to wonder... Did this man perhaps, did this man here perhaps sell the secrets that he knew? He, he looks like a, a good honorable officer there, doesn't he? But maybe, just maybe, this man, whose real name was William Howard Hughes, had defected and sold the information. Then the Soviet Union collapsed and no leads came on him. And people kind of forgot about him. And then... It seems this Barry Timothy O'Burney had an issue renewing his passport. Because you see, Barry Timothy O'Burney didn't defect to Russia. He moved to California. He, he, he claims, at least, and as I understand it, his case is still ongoing. He claims that he just felt too much pressure from what he was doing in the Air Force, and he decided he couldn't take it any longer. So what did he do? He moved to California, assumed a false identity of Barry Timothy O'Burney, served as an actuary, got married, went about a normal life, loved the San Francisco Giants and went to their baseball games, got to know the neighbors, and lived just a quiet life until that passport incident turned out to show some anomalies in his records, and he confessed to being, instead, William Howard Hughes, the most wanted fugitive of the Air Force. And so since 2018, he's been in the custody of the military, but allegedly all he wanted was a quiet life. He claimed that he didn't sell any information, horrible things at the level that people feared because of the amount of information he had never happened. So we have to ask a question. If he really just wanted a quiet life, why didn't he just peacefully leave the Air Force in a proper channel? Why did he disappear? Why in, in seeking what he thought would be joy and comfort in this life, 
did he lose everything he had all his his home he already had he, he couldn't talk to his his siblings any longer they thought he maybe was dead or, or some horrible thing had happened to him because he couldn't reveal his new identity and then even in trying to grab onto this new identity he's lost all of that now he's arrested his wife who had been fed the story of this other person that didn't really exist left him after he was arrested he, he lost everything he'd built in both his original life and his new life because he didn't just follow the proper channel to go for the quieter life that he wanted and we, we, we may scratch our head but the questions also present to us are we being wise that's what the psalm is challenging us to because we we think what we want happiness we think we want peace we think we want blessedness and if I asked you, would you like those things? You'd surely say yes. And yet, what do we do? We join in the nation's plotting and raging and, and making our own plans when when the only one who can actually provide those things to us is saying, follow me and I'll give them to you. Why do we give up on blessedness, on, on eternal life, on, on the joy of being with God forever so we can try to grasp at living in a quiet neighborhood, rooting for a baseball team, when someday someone... Is going to catch us. And that's the thing that we know. I, I'd imagine by 2018, decades after he defected, Timothy O'Burney thought that he'd pulled it off. Sometimes we think we've pulled it off too. But here's the thing we're not. Someday we're going to face death. That's unavoidable. We know that. We have to ask, how do we want to appear before the sovereign king of the universe? Do we want to appear as his loyal subjects who who love him and have experienced what it is to be in relationship to him? Or do we want to be part of those nations that rage against him? Those are our two choices. But but in being loyal subjects, we're not called to something horrible. We're called to the very things that we want in life. We're called to joy and happiness, not necessarily always in the moment. Sometimes it feels more difficult, just like probably leaving the Air Force through the proper channels would have been momentarily more difficult. But it's lasting joy. We aren't just called to follow the Lord. We're not just called to serve the Lord. We're told here, we're called to do those things and experience joy in them. When it says to kiss the Son, it seems to be talking about a, a loyalty to him to experience that, but the closeness of it. Because it, it, it's tied in there with that rejoicing. Yes, we, we show that we are dependent on him, but we do so with rejoicing because he's good and he's loving. We're called to that joy. It's there for us. It's there for, there for you. And it's there for me, even this evening. So may we not go through a bunch of trouble trying to somehow come up with an alternative path because it will fail. But may we be wise and come to the one who offers us to ser- a chance to serve him Enjoy. Would you pray with me, please? Father, why do we think that our own plans are better? For yours are better. You don't just call us to serve you, but you give us joy in that service. There may be momentary challenges in life, but we know that you are good and you are faithful and you are with us. So, Lord, would you help us to turn away from the places where we serve ourselves or we serve worldly causes Help us to serve the only one who offers true blessedness in that service. Would you help us not to, to, to flee thinking somehow we can escape ultimately your anger in doing so, but instead would you help us to see that we don't have to face that anger at all, 
Instead, we can come before you and, and experience your love and your forgiveness and your mercy and your fellowship. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this series was an encouragement to you. And, and if it was, would you consider giving this, this video a like or a share? Whatever channel you might be watching us on, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, share it on your social media. Maybe email someone it and say, I know you're trying to sort things out and you're wondering why you'd want to serve God. But here's something about how he loves you. Because indeed, that's what we know from this psalm. He's not only all-powerful, but he loves each and every one of us and calls us to actually experience joy in him. You help by spreading that word. We're all called to be ambassadors of that king and to declare his victory, but the goodness of that victory. We're thinking about that more on Sunday evenings in our series, Kingdom Now, but next Monday night, I want to mention to you, we're starting a new series here on Steadfast where we are going to be thinking about the overall story of the Bible and, and how it builds. Is, it, is this going anywhere? Thinking about the history of the world, thinking about the history of the Bible, pulling it all together, because I think sometimes we just wonder as we read the Bible, is the Bible, the biblical story really going anywhere? Or is it just a bunch of different stories? Or does it somehow come together? And then importantly, is the story of our lives, is the story of the history of the world beyond the Bible going anywhere? And we find the answer to that in God's word. So I hope that you'll join me at 7 p.m. next Monday night. Maybe invite a friend who's kind of wanting to see how the scriptures connect to, to watch with you online. It's a wonderful way to introduce someone to God's word. And we'll be doing that next week. As I mentioned, we are continuing to think about how we serve our victorious king on Sunday nights, 5.30 p.m. in person or online. Either way, it's great to have you as a part of the community. And I hope that you'll join us for that continuing series looking at Matthew chapter 5. In the meantime, if you have any questions, if there's any way I can be praying for you, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. It is always so good to hear from you. What a joy that is. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I'll see you again next week.